So it's my honor to be able to share with you a, a message uh, from the scripture. And when I share, I, I like to say that God is also teaching me. So I'm here to, to learn along with you because that's when God speaks to us when, when we prepare. And if you have taken the E1 and E2 courses, the speaker would have said that we need to also preach to ourselves. So I am. Uh, so before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, we thank you that we are able to gather today, Lord, in your presence. And we come together to worship you, but also to, to seek your face, Lord. And may your spirit just open our eyes, as let us see what you want us to see, and open our ears that we can listen to what you want to speak to our hearts, Lord. And may your words and your spirit enlighten our, our minds, connect our hearts so that we can understand your truth that is often just revealed to us. When it's, when it's in the scripture, Lord. So we seek you and we ask for your spirit to guide us and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So over the last couple of years, uh, I've been on my own devotion time. I've been uh, looking at the gospel. And I've been really, really slow at doing that. So I've gone through three books and I still have the book of Luke to go. But I'm making sure I want to do it before the Lord's return. Uh, so today, I'm going to share a, a, a passage from the gospel, from the gospel of Mark, Mark 5. Uh, this is a well-known, well-loved uh, passage. It's, the, uh, it's recorded in three of the gospel, uh, in Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke 8. And this is the story about the woman who had a continuous bleeding problem. And as we walk through the story today, um, I will take you perhaps to that dusty road in a town in Galilee. And we want to maybe put our mind into the setting of that time when Jesus was walking in Galilee. And let our minds just engage in what the Spirit is speaking to us through His Word. So I'm going to try to stick to the notes and stick to the Scripture and... Um, and let, let us just see what Jesus is speaking to us uh, through this passage. At the end of the message, I'll just close with a couple uh, takeaways, at least what the Spirit has spoke to me about. Let's uh, unbuckle your seatbelt. Uh, tour bus has just pulled in on the shore of Galilee, and we have a busy itinerary. So this is recorded in the book of Mark, Mark 5, in verse 21. It says, Jesus had Again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So here in the, in the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, many of the scholars say this is probably the, the town of Capernaum. There's a large mob that has been formed. Um, they heard about these stories about the miracles and the healing that Jesus was doing. And there was a recent story that a, a man, a demon-possessed man, was just healed on the other side in an area called Decapolis. And there's a spectacle of pig that was diving into the water, drowning. So there was a big buzz. Uh, you know, the, the news is trending on social media that things are happening with Jesus and these miracles. 
So they're gathering around. This mob was here to welcome Jesus as he came back by boat on this west side of the Sea of Galilee. And this man, um, Jairus, came and he has a medical emergency because his young daughter, 12-year-old, is dying. And he fell in front of Jesus at his feet and asked Jesus to come to his home so that he can heal his daughter. So Jesus said, okay, and he followed him along to, towards Jairus' house, and the mob was following along, growing bigger and bigger as people want to see what's happening, what's going to happen next. They want to get a front row seat. But before they got too far, um, there was an intercept. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here's the situation with this woman. She had two main issues. First, medically, she's been bleeding uh, for 12 years. I guess it's virginal bleeding, a flow of blood draining from her body. And you can see in, in, in Mark, Mark doesn't think much about the, the healthcare system back in, in those days. Um, she has suffered a lot under the, the care of the doctors and spent all she had, and, and she only got worse. So she's been sick for 12 years. What's amazing is that she's still alive. Uh, 12 years of bleeding, continuous bleeding in this harsh environment. So that is, for me, I think that's probably the first miracle that she's still alive. But her second issue is her situation. Under the culture, and actually the Mosaic Covenant, blood is very sacred. It represents life. And the Jews are to protect themselves and respect blood. Uh, they are not supposed to eat animal with blood still in it. That's in Genesis 8.4. But they also are told to keep away from blood as well at the same time. And this is especially other people's blood. So in Leviticus 15, uh, and you can read it in the privacy of your own home, there is specific instruction about what to do with bodily functions and discharges, both for men and women. So when a woman is going through her natural monthly cycle, her period, they're considered unclean. And during that time, they cannot touch people, and they have to basically isolate themselves. And for seven days after her cycle, she still declared unclean, and then she would then bring these doves and birds to the priest, and they would offer sacrifices, and they would be declared clean again, and we enter the home. For this woman, she has a real problem because she has a continuous bleeding. So perpetually, she is unclean. What it means is that anything she touches, anything that she, she uh, anybody that touches her will be declared unclean. So she's basically driven out from her home, from society, as an outcast. So, but that's probably not always the case. Uh, Twelve years ago, she may have a normal life. Uh, she may have a husband, uh, children, but now she's an outcast. She can't be near people, and if she had a husband, she would probably have divorced her. Um, she can't 
be close to anyone in society. So you can imagine the stress, the embarrassment, and the stigmatization that she's going through. So when God's covenant says that the, the blood represents life uh, for her, life is literally and symbolically and socially draining out from her. So we carry on. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touches his cloak. And because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now she obviously, obviously heard about the miracles on the streets uh, and the healing. And like it says earlier, after 12 years of medical treatment, she didn't give up. Uh, she didn't just sit back and resign to the fact that she is dying, um, but she's determined to do everything in her power to find a cure. And she would not let her sickness define who she is, an outcast. And this is something about her, tells you something about her resiliency. So she, there's a move. Um, she, the crowd is shuffling along, following Jesus, shoulder to shoulder, on this probably narrow, dusty road. And she seizes the moment when Jesus comes close enough. And she struggles her way through. Now, in, in this case, she had one thing going for her. Uh, she's not a leper. A leper would have to wear bells uh, around them. So that basically to announce that I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. Right? I used to put a bell on my little dog at night because I can't see where he goes in the backyard so I can hear where he goes. So that's what a leper has to do. And people can tell a leper is nearby by just by the sound. But for her, she can basically move around quite quietly and discreetly. So she kind of sneak around and push her way through. And when Jesus is close enough, she made her move. Um, she didn't want to draw any attention. She wanted to do it very secretly so no one could notice. And she definitely don't want to confront Jesus like what Jairus did, like falling in front of Jesus' feet. Uh, that's the last thing that was on her mind. She just wanted to do it quietly, get through the crowd, and touch Jesus' garment. But in the process, she has probably made everybody uh, ceremonially unclean. Now, I just want to pause just for a moment to talk about touching the garment. In the book of Mark and Luke, it says specifically when she actually touches the hem of the garment. Now, in these days, of, uh, in Samaria or in uh, Judea and Galilee, men wear very simple clothes. We, we're not very hip. Uh, all we have is a tunic, a long... Uh, cloak, which is a square cloth, and in each corner of the cloth, it has a tassel. And then we wear a head covering with a turban of some sort, and then sandals. So that's very simple dress, and most everyone, all the men, wears that. But in, what is significant is on the cloak, that cloak with the tassel. And it comes from, uh, let me just pull this out, it's come from a what God has told Moses in Numbers, 16, uh, num Numbers 15, uh, verse 37. It says that, he's telling Moses, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corner of the garments throughout the generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corner, and you shall have tassels. 
that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And so on. And, then it, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So this is taught to the, the Israelites to wear these garments with tassel to remember the command of God. So how do they remember the command of God with these tassels? So I clipped this off the internet, and this is basically a, one of the tassels, and probably a modern-day version of it, but it's, it represents the word of God to the Israelites. The, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, and each letter has a numerical value to it. And what the Jews does is they, they will tie these windings, you can see these blue windings, uh, and it's separated by knots, and each winding is a number. So when you have a word and you add up the, the letters, there's a subtotal, a uh, numbers, and that number will represent that word. So in here, uh, the top one, there's seven blue winding, which is seven, and then the next letter is eight, and then the following one below the next knot is 11, and seven, eight, and 11, and th th those three, uh, letters uh, add up to the word Yahweh, which is the Hebrew name of God. And on the bottom, there's, uh, there's 13 winding, and that's one, uh, Ekar, which is the Hebrew word one. And so this represents actually the, the Shema prayer for the Jews, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in Deuteronomy 6.4. So that's what they do. They put these little uh, tassel, four tassel on the cloak, and then they put these commands of God and represented by the winding and the knots, and that's how they carry the command of God. So these are actually, for them, it represents the authority of God they carry around them. I remember actually even seeing these today. They're very common. Uh, I drove through uh, in Vancouver uh, by 41st and Oak, where the Jewish Cultural Center is, and we drove by there two weeks ago with Ruth. And we see the young men and the boys comes out after the, maybe their Hebrew classes or Torah class, and they will wear the modern-day version of these uh, cloak or the talit with a with tassel on them. They wear underneath the shirt or the jacket. And so it's something that they were faithfully to follow. And this is also written in other parts of the scripture. Uh, in the book of Ruth, uh, she lay at the feet of Boaz in Ruth 3, 9. So he, she put herself under the authority of Boaz. She said, take your servant under your wings, which means the skirt. In 1 Samuel 24, King Saul was chasing after David, uh, going after his life, but he, uh, Saul fell asleep in a cave, and David sneaked up to him and cut off his corner of his, his, his rope. So that was the corner where these tassels would be as well. So it symbolized Saul's, uh, God's authority given to Saul. And that's when David took it off, he basically humiliated Saul. David felt bad about that, and later on he reconciled with, with Saul. So these um, tassels has a meaning. But maybe most significant passage here, which is related to our story this morning, is in the book of Malachi. Malachi 4.2. It says that, uh, this is what it says about the Messiah Sitzit, which is the, uh, the tassel. It says, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, 
and you should go out and grow fat like a store-fed cow. So I don't know about wanting to be a, like a fat cow. I guess that's something desirable back in those days. But this, this, the, the scripture here says that the Messiah would be carrying uh, these uh, wings, these tassels, which symbolize the healing. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. So, so this woman probably is familiar with these teachings, and she probably knows Malachi. And when she uh, went and touched Jesus, it wasn't just some random touching. And she has a purpose. She knows what she's going after, and she wants to touch the helm of Jesus, which represents the authority of the Messiah with healing in the wings. So here's the encounter. So immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from the suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people around you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who has done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. No words were spoken. She was healed instantly. Twelve years of bleeding stopped. In all this commotion and this confusion, Jesus paused. He stopped and he turned around. He turned around and asked, who touched my garment? Now, of course, the disciple was, well, like, probably like you and me, I don't like crowd. People are shuffling, jostling, shoulder to shoulder. It's probably really congested. Probably like maybe um, during, uh, in Times Square during New Year's Eve or, or you're at a train station in Tokyo during rush hour. You're crushed with people, right? Yeah. And, you know, the sweat, the smell, you know, I just want to get out of there. And why, why are you stopping, Jesus? Let's go. Um, but Jesus would not move. He, he just stand there and scanned the crowd, waiting and waiting. For this woman, can you imagine her, what she's feeling? Now somebody's looking for her. And if she exposes herself, there's humiliation there's backlash. Everyone that she bumped into has ceremonially be declared unclean. At best, is everybody will make a beeline to the nearest bath and shower and wash themselves. At worst, is the people will start scolding her and maybe throwing things at her to drive her away. So this is what's going on in her mind. That's why it says she, she fell at his, at his feet, trembling with fear. And then she... She confessed and told the whole truth publicly in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus did not call her out to embarrass her or disgrace her in front of the crowd. But he wanted to let her know in no uncertain terms that she's completely healed. It wasn't just a passing phase, but it was she was completely healed. And then he affirmed her for her faith and then praised her. He took her from a place where she was isolated, in loneliness, 
separated from community, and bring her back publicly in front of everybody. And on top of that, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. He called her daughter. Nowhere in the scripture that Jesus actually spoke or called a person daughter. How sweet is that? This is the affection of a father to his daughter. She was no longer a bleeding woman, an outcast, but someone dearest to our Lord. Full restoration, physically, socially, and emotionally. Uncleanliness no longer de define her. She can no longer make people unclean, but the Messiah made her clean. So I have a couple of takeaways. Uh, this is what the Spirit spoke to me. Uh, something else might, uh, might be spoken to you through the Holy Spirit. But the first I want to say is uh, pressing through to Jesus. Don't just bump into him. Press into Jesus. I find that in my own Christian walk, sometimes I lack focus and I get involved in different things and I, I bounce around. I bounce around like a pinball in a pinball machine. You know, go zigzagging around, hit some bumpers and hit some flippers and and occasionally I bump into Jesus and wow, you know, the euphoria, the bell start ringing and dinging like the scoreboard on this pinball machine. And the feeling is good, but sometimes it's not sustained. It's temporary. But this woman was very intentional. She was focused and she was seeking for something that is lasting for her. I remember about, well, almost 30 years ago, I was, uh, I was sailing uh, in the Caribbean uh, with a bunch of friends uh, in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, and we were in a place uh, near an island called Norman Island. So uh, we're in the open waters, and our, we drop anchor, and a boat, boat is just bobbing around. So we're enjoying the sun, the weather, and uh, my friend has this great idea. He said, about 200 yards away, there's these rocks that protrude out from the water, about 20 or 30 feet above the water. And you say, hey, let's swim over there and let's take a look at those rocks. But for me, I was kind of apprehensive. I'm not a swimmer. I struggle and I swim. I swim like a drowning person. <laughs> but I didn't want to be a, a wimp and I didn't want to be a party pooper. So I said, oh, why not? Let's go. So the three of us, and then we put on the snorkel gear and put on the flippers, and then we jump in the water and pedal, pedal, pedal. Uh, so we, we got to the, these rocks, they call the Indians. And so we were snorkeling around, looking underneath the water and so forth. And then my friend said, okay, let's go back now. So the, so the two of them start pedaling, and I'm the slow one, so I, I'm falling behind, and soon they were way, way, way beyond I couldn't see them anymore. And then, as I was kicking and struggling, and uh, I realized I wasn't gaining any ground. I keep kicking harder, and I wasn't moving much closer to the boat, which is a little thing on the horizon. All of a sudden, I realized that there was a strong current pushing against me away from the boat. And not being a good swimmer, I keep, well, 
In fact, I, I basically started having a panic attack. I said, oh my goodness, uh, I might not make it back. Nobody's here. Nobody even knows where I am. I don't know if I cried out to God, but I think he spoke to me. He said, calm down, Eugene. Uh, don't panic. Stay focused. And I did. Uh, I tried to get my eyes above the waves, try to get my bearing correct where that boat is, try to get my breathing back into a normal rhythm so I'm not panicking. And then slowly I, I start kicking and pushing and kicking and pushing against the current. And eventually I made it back to the boat, exhausted. Sometimes we need to kind of find that bearing and be consistent and stay focused on where we are going. And this is what this woman did. She has her eyes on Jesus. And no matter how difficult, how the crowd, the current, or the people pushing back against her, she made her way through to Jesus so she can touch to him. So focus and push toward Jesus as if your life depends on it. And then receive that restoration and healing of the body, soul, and mind. The second point I want to take, and I want to keep moving here, is the deep calling, uh, a crazy Ivan, I call it. After her encounter with Jesus, uh, touching Jesus, she was very timid and she hit back into the crowd. And Jesus turned around and asked, who touched me? What Jesus wanted to do was have an encounter with her, a real FaceTime. Uh, this reminds me of a scene from an old movie. It's called Hunt for Red October. I don't know if some people have watched that movie. It's from the 90s. It's an old Tom Clancy spy movie. It's about submarines. Um, so the, the story goes is that there's this brand new Russian submarine that was launched, a super high-tech uh, typhoon-class ballistic missile submarine called the Red October. And it was commanded by a captain called Ramius, played by Sean Connery. And this submarine was make, heading toward the U.S. coast from Russia. And they suspect that Captain Ramius has the intention of launching ballistic missile on the, on the U.S. coastline. They were going to attack the U.S. And so the Americans sent a submarine, uh, the USS Dallas, captained by a man called Captain Mancuso, uh, played by Scott Glenn. He was sent to track the Russian submarine and follow it and find out his intention and make sure it doesn't get too close to the coast. So in, in the underwater world cat and mouse game, people can't see each other in the submarine. So they rely on sonar to detect what's around them. So the sonar will be sent around and they can listen to the sound and maybe it's a sound of whales or it could be sound of another propeller or mechanical system which indicate there might be another vessel or an enemy nearby. But one thing the sonar cannot do for the submarine is they can't detect anything directly behind the back, the tail of the submarine because perhaps the noise of the propellers or the own engine, they can't pick that up. So the US submarine, uh, Captain Mancuso was tracking the Russian, hiding behind his tail, following him behind in this kind of dead zone, so the Russian doesn't know he's tailgating him, and he is tracking him. And Captain Mancuso got order from the state, uh, his command, that 
to attack the Red October as soon as it gets close enough to the U.S. coast. So this is the pivotal scene in the movie when they're getting close, he has to make a decision what he wants to do. At the same time, even though he has ordered to attack the submarine, he's being told by uh, this CIA whiz guy, uh, Jack Ryan, played by uh, Alex Baldwin, that the Russian Captain Aramius does not want to launch missile to the U.S. He actually wants to defect with the submarine too. But Mancuso don't know what the intention is because they cannot communicate. So in this scene, the Red Octobers pull what they call a crazy Ivan. A crazy Ivan is when the, the sub do a quick turnaround just to check if there's somebody tailing behind them. And that's what Captain Ramius did. He did a quick crazy Ivan to the right, to the starboard, just to check. And in this pivotal moment, the American captain have two choices to make. His normal protocol would be quickly shut off all your engines, drop, be dead quiet so the Russian can pick you up. Or he can choose to do something else. So what Mancuso did was he ordered his crew to say, all back full, which is reverse your engine. So instead of shutting, cutting your engine off, we put it in reverse. And all the bubbles and cavitation, all the noise, immediately the Russian knew that the American sub was behind it. What followed in the movie was there's a bit of a Mexican standoff for a moment, and then but the two sub-captains decide to communicate with each other by rising up and using periscope and Morse code. So why did Jesus pull a crazy Ivan on his way to Jairus' house? He's in a hurry. A 12-year-old girl is dying, but he wants an encounter with the woman. He wants her to know what his intention is, and he wants to let her know that it's not because of touching these tassels, which doesn't have any magical power, but it is her faith in the one who is wearing this tassel, the one who can heal. So what the woman did, she responded. She didn't slip away. She didn't cut off her engine and hide in the crowd. She responded and fell at Jesus' feet. Jesus wants to have that communication, that relationship with us. Here's a writing from a man called Dr. Douglas Wheeler, and he sums this segment really well. He said, God commanded the Israelite to wear the tassel, the tzitzit, not, because, not just as a reminder to perform his commands, but to remind them that life is not to be lived by their own understanding and intelligence. Life is to be lived dependent upon God and not independent of Him. Like the tassel with the windings and the knots, God wants us to live not only our obedience, but one of trust and faith in Him, a life that is bounded, wrapped up, and tied up in the Lord. Jesus didn't come just to give gifts of healings and miracles, but He wanted to give Himself to us. He's a life giver. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. My last takeaway is that, that my faith will be made stronger. Jesus performed many, many miracles and healing in the towns around Galilee. So do you think the crowd repented after seeing all these things that happened? Well, they did not. 
if you read on in other passage in Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24, Jesus proceeded to denounce the people because he had performed so many miracles there. He says, Woo to you, Chorazin. Woo to you, Bathsheba. Bathsheba sorry. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that was done in you was done in Sodom, it would have remained today. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So these people, after seeing all these miracles, were largely unrepentant. They have unbelief. And Jesus has said, uh, enter through the narrow gates, for why is the gate and the bot is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few finds it in Matthew 7, 13, 14. So he's looking for the few, and I believe in, in this story here, there's a few, at least a few, that the, the faith did not wander. The first is the woman who was healed from her bleeding. And I believe this, at least the other one is Jairus. Can you imagine the emotion going through Jairus? He's in a hurry bringing Jesus to his dying daughter. And he was interrupted by this episode, this drama that played out. Why is Jesus stopping for this woman? Why bother? Hey, I was in line first. <laughs> Why he's stopping and healing her? But after he witnessed what happened to the woman, after what Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. If I was Jairus, I would claim that healing for my daughter as well. A real test for Jairus' faith. A little bit later, there was some bad news that comes from Jairus' household. We don't have time to get into it. But that would be a test of his faith. What he just witnessed happen to the woman who was bleeding will build his faith in what was to come. And that's why here in Five Stone, Pastor Rich and Pastor John will encourage you, and we, we did. And last two months, we've been listening to some of the testimony of the different people in our family here that what God has done in their lives, the healing, the restoration, the prophetic words, because those words encourage my faith. I hope it encourages yours as well. This is so that the goodness of God can, can be shown, that our faith will be made stronger, like the song says, in the presence of our Lord. Pastor which shared last week from Hebrews 3, he said, we protect each other's faith by being a community. A community of believers encouraging one another. So let our testimony and our, our lives speak truth to everyone around us that we can bring glory to God. In closing, our Father wants to bring us to a place where he can, he's calling us son and daughters. He wants to wrap himself around our lives and that we are wrapped like the tassel around him as well. And that we may be able to testify in what he does in our lives. So ask God to take us deeper in a relationship with him, that we can trust him in our circumstances, and that our faith will be made stronger in him. I'll close with a word of prayer. Father, 
we thank you for taking us uh, to the journey to witness your healing and your encounter with this woman and that you heal her from those pain and suffering and the isolation. And we ask, Lord, that you heal us from our own loneliness and our isolation and the pain and suffering that we may be going through in our lives, Lord. Give us clarity, Lord. May your Holy Spirit let, bring us clarity in our mind, in our heart, that we are wrapped up with you, Lord, that we can see you, we have focused upon you, we can touch you in a deeper way. And when you call us, Lord, let us be ready to respond and respond in a way that can glorify you as a testimony to those around us as well, Lord. We thank you for your work in our lives, and we ask you to continue to work in our lives, bring us through your process of sanctifying us in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.